Okay. Um, <laughs> Welcome. We're glad you're here. My name is Nathan. I'm the campus pastor. Uh, it's great to be together. Great to, to be a part of God's people in this place uh, as we continue to, to study in, in the Gospel of Matthew. And if, you, if you've been here any, any length of time, uh, you probably know that I kind of like to, to harp on Facebook just a little bit. Um, and I don't, I don't like mean anything by it. It's not personal. I just kind of hate Facebook and wish you would die a slow and painful death, right? I mean, anybody, anybody else just a little bit? I mean, and I... I mean, I use it, of course, right? It's like this time warp. You get there, and it's like 30 minutes past, and you don't even know where you've been, right? Um, but it, it also, the biggest thing for me is that it seems like it's just kind of like given a platform for all the nut jobs out there, right? I mean, no matter what it is, there's, there, it's like a platform for anybody to say anything, and it just feels like the opinions are more and more and more extreme, right? More and more polar. Everybody's an expert, right? Everybody feels like they have a, a voice, um, and we often say it in really just really cruel and unhelpful ways, right? And so, you know, opinions on, on politics and how you should raise your kids and the new diet and the new exercise and the, the new way to make money or what you should think about race or, or, you know, poverty or foreign policy. Like, you name it, there's a voice somewhere speaking into it. It kind of reminds me of um, one of my... One of my favorite uh, SNL uh, game shows, maybe you've seen this one, um, should you chime in on this? You seen this one? <laughs> and the answer is always no. It's like, no, just don't do it. Don't, don't. Or, or uh, there was an Onion article, uh, you know, the cynical newspaper um, a, a couple of uh, months ago. Let's, let's see it here. Love it. Okay, Facebook clarifies, site not intended to be user's primary information source. <laughs> like, oh, right. Well, then how am I supposed to figure out what to think about anything, right? I mean, that, that tends to be how, how we work, isn't it? And, and while, while Facebook may be the ideal platform for the crazies, right? And you know who you are, right? <laughs> it doesn't end there, does it? Like, everybody has an opinion. And there are so many voices of, of what you should think, what you should do, how you should live, what you should build your life on. Everywhere around us, there's, there's people speaking into that. And kids, students, you probably feel this more than just about anybody, right? I mean, do you ever feel like everybody is telling you what to do or what to think? You got your parents, you got, you know, teachers and coaches and instructors, you've got Sunday school teachers, and you've, you know, all the friends and even, even your own, like, voice, right? Pastors, I mean, everywhere around us. And, and then, of course, for all of us, the voice, I think, at least for me, that screams loudest is, is the one inside me, right? The one who always, no matter what, always thinks he's right, who's always barking out commands that, that, that thinks, you know, thinks I don't need anything. I mean, isn't it interesting that, I mean, I think we realize that kids need voices speaking into their lives. And then somehow, like, we get to some magical age, and we think, well, I don't, I don't need that anymore. I got this, right? And there comes a point, I think, for all of us, I think, in, in which we, we either feel controlled by all the voices, manipulated, paralyzed, trying to please everybody, or just flat out confused, or we go to the other extreme, we just shrug off all the voices altogether and listen only to ourselves. And my voice is, is sufficient. We need a better voice. A better voice speaking into, 
issues in, in Dallas and Baton Rouge and in, in Nice and, and Orlando, right? We need, we need better voices telling us what to think about power and money and sex or, or about what we should do about poverty or racism or, or human trafficking, all of these things. We need a better voice. Now, of course, like most problems, this is nothing new, right? I'm pretty sure that everybody who's ever lived in every time period has been convinced they know the best way to live. And they, they know the, the best voices to listen to. Even the first disciples, like way back 2,000 years ago. And just even like think about it. These guys got this close to Jesus. And yet even they were tempted to put Jesus on the same sort of playing field as everybody else. Like just one more opinion and the, the white noise of voices around us. So much so that in this particular story that we're going to look at this morning, it's, it's almost comical. I mean, honestly, this is maybe like one of the strangest stories in the entire New Testament. And it culminates with God himself, the Father in heaven, like shouting out audibly at the disciples, guys, would you just listen to him? Listen to Jesus. God shows up in that way in this story. And it's not, it's not that other vo- voices aren't important. It's not that we can't learn from the opinions of others. We seek truth wherever it is found. But we also keep one really important truth right at the fore. That there's, there's only one voice that's always better. There's only, there's only one voice that is always better. And it's, it's not on Facebook. It's not on the right or on the left. It's not that friend who lives up the street. And it's certainly not the voice living inside you. His voice is always better. And we, as his people, we listen to him. Easier said than done. Uh, why don't we pray and ask for God's help, and we'll continue. God, we, we need your help in this. We need, um, we need to believe that you speak through your word and through your spirit um, still in our world and in our lives today. And, and God, we need... Um, your spirit to help us to hear. And not just hear, but to listen, to be changed by, the, by what you say is the best way to live and the ways that you give us hope and life. God, I pray that we'd believe that we would recognize your voice and that we would respond to it knowing that your voice is better than all the rest. We need your help. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. His voice is always better. Now, I realize that's a pretty big, lofty statement, right? But that's, that's what we see here in this story as we continue to study Matthew. We've been studying Matthew for a while, right? Trying to understand uh, what his first followers believed about Jesus, right? What they saw, what they experienced, what they heard, how they, how they interpreted these, these events. And this morning, we're in Matthew chapter 17. If you want to follow along in the, in the text, it's, that's where it's at, Matthew 17. Uh, we'll kind of walk through the story. Uh, but if we're going to say that his voice is better, we have to answer the question, why, right? Like, why? When there's so many voices, so many opinions, what makes his voice worth listening to? What makes his voice better, better than the rest? Why Jesus? Okay, so picture the scene. The beginning of, of, of chapter 17. And Matthew tells us very, very clearly, like he spells it out, which is interesting for Matthew. He tells, this happens six days after the last, the last story. 
So it's six days after uh, Peter said, Jesus, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, right? When Peter gets something right, something big right, at least, at least sort of as he, as he knew it there. It's six days after when Jesus responded to that statement by saying, yeah, and I'm going to build my church, right? And not even death, not even my death is going to stop it. Six days after Jesus clarified by saying, oh yeah, but first I'm going to suffer. First I'm going to die. And if you were here last week, Peter responded, right? He said, no, Jesus, that's not going to happen. You can't die. You, you can't. That's not who you are. That's not what it means to be a Messiah. And, and Jesus calls him the devil, right, in response and goes even further. He says, not only am I going to suffer and die, but so will anyone who wants to come with me. But that's, that's part of the path that I go. And so you can kind of imagine, right, that was six days ago, why the disciples might just need a little bit of encouragement to listen, right? I mean, who wants to hear it? Suffer? Death? Take up my cross? I mean, at this point, you kind of expect the disciples, la, 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 you know, we can't hear you, Jesus. They don't, they don't want this. And so now, six days later, Jesus took with him Peter and James and John, his brother, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. Okay, these three disciples, they kind of form a little bit of an inner circle, right? They're kind of the lead disciples. They get to see a little bit more of, of Jesus than, than the rest of them. When it's a smaller group, it's typically, typically these guys. And they, they go on a hike, essentially, right? They go up a mountain. Um, I mean, I love hiking. If there's a mountain involved, all the better. Um, and I'm, I'm familiar with like altitude sickness and what it can do to what's going on in your brain. But never have I witnessed anything quite this spectacular, right? Um, what they're about to experience is like no other. Look what Matthew tells us in verse 2. He says, And Jesus was transfigured before them. And his face shone like the sun, and his clothes became white as light. So that's new, right? Um, and here, here's the first reason Jesus' voice is better. He's just, there's just nobody else like him. Like, he's, he is like no other. Like, nobody else does this. Um, there's, there's no one com compared to him. And we've, we've seen glimmers of this throughout, right? As we've studied Matthew, that, I mean, angels sing at his birth, right? And he raises a dead girl. He, he calms the storm. He walks on water. He feeds the hungry. He heals the sick. In many ways, this story shouldn't surprise us. And yet, I mean, you read it, it's like, what just happened? Transfigured. What does that even mean? Right? His, his face gets all shiny like the sun and his, his clothes as, as white as light. Well, it means essentially that in ways that we can't even begin to put words to, he was transformed before them, right? That, that, that in one moment, there on the mountain, he looks like the, the, the carpenter slash rabbi that they've been following for so long. And in the very next moment, he looks like a god, with all the beauty and perfection and majesty and, and power. And they saw it. I don't, I don't know exactly what they saw. I wish I could describe it, like put some better words to it. But even reading the Gospels, it's like they don't even know exactly what they saw. They're grasping at words to try to describe this incredible experience. Essentially what they saw, the best word for it is glory. They saw his his glory. They saw Jesus. It's like for a moment the veil was lifted and they saw him as he actually is. As the, as the God who created everything but who, who came to earth. They, they see him with all of his power and authority and dominion there in that place. They see him as he existed from all of eternity. As he, 
like a picture of this, this glorious king, the God who became man. The Apostle Paul tells us, for example, that we see the glory of God in the face of Jesus. And Jesus had just told them he was going to die. And that they would die too if, if, he, if they came with him. And they need to see this to keep going. Like they, they need to know that, that the person they're following isn't like everybody else, right? That there's something unique. That, that Jesus, when he says he's going he's gonna to die, he's not, he's not like leaving his life as a, as a carpenter, as a, as a boy from Nazareth and going to his death, right? That, that he is leaving his throne, that he's leaving the, the perfections of heaven, that he's left everything behind to go to this, this place of, of suffering and death on behalf of his people. What other voice can say that? The things we listen to, the things we build our lives upon, none of them compare to this. His voice is always better. So here's the first action item for this morning, if you're looking for something to do. Step one, if we're going to listen, we have to find out what he says, right? Kind of makes sense, doesn't it? Because God, I mean, this is moving to the point where God says, listen to him. And so if God is going to do that, what does it look like for us to listen, right? If his words matter that much, we need to know them. And while in so many ways, like I read this story and I hear listen to him and it's like, well, yeah, great. Jesus, like show up and show me that and talk to me and give me this experience like the disciples had. That's not going to happen, I don't think. But I love what Peter says. Peter, who's there, right? He writes this uh, some years later, reflecting back. It's shocking what he says, right? Because he experienced all of this. So he's reflecting on this, on this story. And he says in 2 Peter, he says, For we did not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the majestic glory, this is my beloved Son with whom I am well pleased, we ourselves heard this voice, this very voice born from heaven, for we were with him on that holy mountain. And listen, listen how he culminates here. And he says, and we have the prophetic word, more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place. And what's so interesting, like he's, he's reflecting, yes, we saw Jesus, yes, we heard him, and it, it was awesome, Right? But, but now we have his prophetic word, his words spoken to us, written down for us. And, and they are, he says they're like a light shining in a dark place. But friends, our, our God has spoken. And here, here is where we find out what he has to say. And I know this book is not, it's not an easy book, right? It can be confusing, difficult, boring. Sometimes we don't just, we don't like it sometimes, Right? It confronts us, it challenges us, it confronts who we are and, and who we are as a, as a culture. It, it's a hard book. But he is like no other. And he has spoken to us. And if we want to find, if we want a voice that is better, we need to read it, study it, memorize it, pray it, come to church so you can hear it. The first, the first step here um, is knowing what he says. You have to know what he says. Okay, so back to the story here. And just, just a warning, it's about to get weird. Um, 
because everything else has been pretty normal, right? Um, so while, while Jesus is still shiny, like, guess who shows up? I mean, it's, it's sort of like the Old Testament Hall of Fame with a surprise guest cameo appearance, right? <laughs> verse, verse 3, Matthew tells us, and behold, which behold is kind of like their word for wow, you know, essentially, like, wow. There appeared to them Moses and Elijah talking with him. Now, one of the greatest mysteries to me, and this is just in my dumb brain, this doesn't really have to do anything, anything. Um, but like, how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? Have you ever wondered that? Like, read it, like, were there name tags? Did they, did they do introductions? Hey, I'm Peter, yeah, I'm Moses, yeah. I mean, it's, or, you know, I almost picture, like, did they bring props? Like, Moses has a little tiny Ten Commandments, and, you know, Elijah's got a raven on his shoulder or whatever. Um, I don't know how they knew each other. It doesn't matter, right? Um, but they did. And what's significant here is, is, is for them, you know, Moses and Elijah, this is like the summary of the whole Old Testament, right? You got Moses, the law, you got Elijah, the prophets, like kind of the king of the prophets. And, and so it's like they are there, they're with Peter and James and John and Jesus. Like if you, if you had asked Peter a couple days earlier, like if you could most hang out with anybody dead or alive, there's no doubt these, these guys would be on, on his short list. And, and they're here. Now, Peter, should you chime in on this? <laughs> nope. <laughs> and Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it is good that we are here. If you wish, I will make three tents here, one for you, and one for Moses, and one for Elijah. I mean, I love camping, right? But Peter, like, this is the best you can come up with? Like, what, what's, go, what's going on there? In fact, you know, Matthew is kind of nice to Peter in this. He just kind of says, this is what Peter said, but uh, Mark and Luke, when they tell the story, they both say, Peter didn't know what he was saying, right? Uh, they just call him straight out. He's, he they, they doesn't know what's going on, right? He's just sort of saying, saying these things. There's probably a lot that's going on there, like the festivals and, and the tents and all of that. Um, but at the very least, um, Peter's just saying, like, how can we make this last a little longer, right? How can I have a little more time with these with these three guys. For what's implicitly happening, what's subtle there, and this is what happens, this is how, how God himself ends up speaking in this story. Is that really what Peter's doing? He's putting Jesus and Moses and Elijah all sort of on the same playing field. You know, this voice is good, this voice is good, and this voice is good. Let's have three tents and let's, let's hang out together for a while. Which, honestly, I mean, think about it, Peter probably thought that was a compliment to Jesus. Like Moses and Elijah, Jesus, you're welcome, right? But this is where God interrupts. God himself in heaven. It's like, Peter, let me, let me stop you right there. Look, look what he says in verse five. Peter was still speaking when behold, a bright cloud overshadowed them and a voice from the cloud said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. Why listen to Jesus? Why, why is his voice better? Because only Jesus receives an endorsement like this. Not only is he himself like no other, but even, even his voice is like no other. It's not like Moses. 
I mean, Moses, who uh, inspired by, by God, right, wrote the law, which the Old Testament people, like, they, they built their lives upon. And he, you know, part of the Red Sea, he led God's people. But, you know, he wasn't even allowed into the promised land because of his own sin. And, and Jesus' voice, it's not like Elijah. Elijah, who does battle against the, the terrible sort of wicked pagan god Baal, right? This incredible scene and in, in Baal's prophets and, and the wicked king Ahab. And he battles them and he stands in the gap for God's people. And then Elijah, he runs in despair and fear. But Jesus doesn't just part the Red Sea. He parts the heavens and he comes here to, to join us. And he, he doesn't just do battle against this, this pagan God. He battles against death and sin and hell and against all that is evil on our behalf. And he has no sin and he will never run. And we've, we've seen this over and over again in Matthew. Everybody has a theory about Jesus. The Pharisees have one. The political leaders have one. The disciples. Well, here's God's theory, which seems like an important one. And God the Father says from heaven, this is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. Listen to him. And it's, it's not that he's like throwing out the Old Testament, don't listen to Moses, don't listen to the prophets. Of course not. In fact, Jesus made that very clear to us in, in Matthew chapter 5, right? That's not, that's not what Jesus is doing. And yet it's very clear. God is saying, this is not like the others. Jesus is not, he's not the same. In fact, I love, I love how the author of Hebrews begins his letter, written a few, you know, several years later, after the resurrection and all that. He begins, he begins like this in Hebrews. It says, Long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. Like he, he's not the same. He's not, he's not like the others. So, so here's, here's the next action item. Step one, find out what he says. Step two, Anybody? Do what he says, right? Like if his, if his voice is really like no other, if his voice is always better, don't make the same mistake Peter made. And I, and I realize, like, probably nobody in here is, is about to make the mistake of saying, yeah, Moses and Elijah and Jesus are all. That's, that's probably not our temptation, right? And yet we do the same thing, don't we? We make Jesus just one voice among many. You know, he's, he's got a good opinion on this subject, and so maybe we'll listen there. I like this part of what Jesus says. I don't really like that. And so we, so we, pick it, we think we have that right. Like, we, we're the authority to tell Jesus which words of his matter, which ones still count. And so Jesus says this, but my heart says this, right? Jesus says that, but my friends and my boss or my culture or my ego says, says that. And we pick and choose. Right? And, I, and I hear the voices in our heads, right? It's like, well, I know what Jesus says about sex, but that doesn't fit my desires. I know what Jesus says about the poor and marginalized, but that doesn't fit my politics. I know what Jesus says about money, but that doesn't, that doesn't fit my budget. And don't, don't you kind of wish, like in some ways in those moments, like when we're marginalizing God's word, like when we, because when we, really what we're doing in those moments, we're saying, I know better than he does, right? I know better than Jesus. I know better than God. I can decide what's best for my life, not him right? 
And so don't you kind of wish when we have the, the brass courage to like, to say those kinds of things, don't you, don't you wish God from heaven would just like, Nathan, let me stop you right there. Listen to him. Don't you wish God would say that in, in those moments that he would just interrupt and be like, don't do that. No, right? Probably not. Like, you know, it's terrifying. Like, what if that happened? What if the voice, like this shining cloud came and said, knock it off, right? Of course it's terrifying. It, it was. Look what happens to the disciples. Verse 6. When the disciples heard this, they fell on their faces and were terrified. Yeah, of course they were, right? Shiny Jesus, dead guys from the Old Testament. Peter wants to go camping, right? A voice from the cloud, um, you know, claiming to be God, telling you what to do. So shiny, you can't even hardly see. Of course, they're terrified. But Jesus came and touched them, saying, rise and have no fear. And when they lifted up their eyes, they saw no one but Jesus only. So why why listen to Jesus? Yeah, I mean, he's like no other. His voice is like no other. But you know what? That's just not enough, is it? Because that could be a king who's still enslaving, terrifying, demanding, who doesn't have our, 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 our good at heart, right? But there's one more reason here that gives, gives me hope, that gives me joy in the midst of these others, that helps, under, helps me understand why these others are, are so important. Here's the third reason. Jesus gets close like no other. Like, no, no other God gets this close. No, no other voice or, or authority. Only Jesus does this. I love this in the story. Yes, yes, listen to him, but Jesus is not speaking like from some lofty distance, calloused and unaware of what life is like. Right? He's not just barking out commands to us, do this, don't do that, right? He, he gets close. He touches them. He lifts them up. He calms their fear, and they saw him only. And Jesus only of all the other voices, right, all the other claims that authority, only Jesus as God really truly understands what it's like to live in a broken world and yet, and yet still be outside of it, right, to have both. Like he knows what it's like to be human. What other, what other God can say that? He knows what it's like to, to feel disappointment and loneliness, to feel desire and pain. He, he's heard the multitude of voices and he knows how hard it is to listen. In fact, I'm I'm convinced that's part of the reason that the Father shows up here. Maybe you think this is crazy, but I'm convinced. Studying this, this, this is part of it. It's not just for the disciples. It's not just the disciples who, who need a pep talk, right? Who need a reminder of, of who they are and who Jesus is and what they've been called to do in this moment. I'm convinced Jesus needs it too. There's only, there's only two times in Matthew that we hear the audible voice of God. Just twice. And both times he says almost the exact same thing. And both times, the circumstances are almost identical. The first was back early on when Jesus began his ministry. It was at his baptism. And God says, this is my, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. And immediately after that, Jesus goes into the wilderness to be tempted by Satan for 40 days, where Satan tries to convince Jesus, you can have power without suffering. You can have, you can have glory without the cross. You don't have, choose the easier way, Jesus. And Satan, shrugged, uh, Satan tries, but Jesus shrugs it off. And begins his mission. And here, here again, right, six, six days ago, Peter, who Jesus calls Satan, tries to talk him out of the cross as well. No, you don't need to die. You don't have to do that. Are you crazy, Jesus? That's not, that's not what it means to be a Messiah. No, you don't do that, right? Choose the easier way. 
He's heard the voices. And Jesus knows how hard it is to listen. Yes, yes, he is God, but he is also human. And we'll see the agony that this is for him in the chapters ahead as he makes his way closer and closer to the cross. Yes, he goes willingly, but not easily. And both times, in the midst of these other voices saying, pick the easier route, God the Father shows up and says, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased And what do you think it was like for Jesus to hear those words? Okay, I know this is stupid. Um, Anybody watch the uh, the All Star Game this past week? Nobody, just me, I guess. All right. Um, I mean, it's a picture of of glory, right? And I mean, I I was so proud of Kansas City. It was like it was sort of our night, right? With both you know Salvi and Haas hitting the home runs in the same inning, right there. I mean, they hit in all the runs, right? Kansas City. It was it was. I mean, Haas with the MVP. I mean, it was just it was awesome, right? Okay, it's picture a little picture of glory, right? Um, And if you're watching, right, right after they both they both homered in the same inning. Um, they did like a really quick interview with, with uh, Ned Yost uh, in the dugout, just really fast. And he just simply said, I'm like a proud papa in that moment. And I, I know, maybe it's ridiculous like that I actually thought of that with reading the story of the trans... I, I get it, okay? Um, and yet I tell you what, I don't think I've ever met a man who isn't longing for his father to say, I'm proud of you. I don't think it exists. Or, or some fatherly figure to say, I'm, I'm, I'm proud of you. You are mine right? And, and the motivation that that is, right? The joy that that, that that causes, what that does inside of us. And the Father says that to Jesus. And Jesus listens to him. As hard as it is, the multitude of voices choose the easy way, and yet gladly he comes to save us, to die for us. And, and clearly that's on his mind here. It comes out in verse 9, verse 22 and 23. Jesus is again talking about his, his own death for our God. No one, no one gets this close. So friends, not only, not only do we need to find out what he says and do what he says, we also have to take hope in what he says. Take hope in what he says. I mean, think about it. Jesus could have stayed on that mountain. And part of me is like, why didn't he? Right? That's, and that's, that's who Jesus should be, right? Glorious and, and beautiful, basking in his Father's love, right? Yes, Peter, make me a tent. Build me a palace. I'll reign from here, right? Why, why didn't he say that? He could have. But then we'd still be lost, dead in our sins, unable to listen, unable to obey, unable to be changed, to, to enter into the life that he's, that he's carved out for us. And so instead, listening to his good Father, Jesus willingly marches down that hill to the cross. And really, we're going to see everything in Matthew now. That's where, that's where it's headed. Everything is headed to Jerusalem at this point on. For it's the only way. And when Jesus gets there on that cross, we'll see this. It'll be a while yet. Um, but when, when Jesus is there hanging on the cross and he's bearing the weight of all of our sin, taking all of our guilt, every mistake we've ever made, everything we've left undone, all of it, bearing it upon himself, his proud papa will turn his face. For God cannot stand to look at our shame. And Jesus go, does that knowing, knowing that that's going to happen, knowing, willingly, understanding that that's, that's what's happening. As he takes on all, all of our sin. And yet Jesus does that so that 
our Father in heaven could say to each one of us, all who believe, who trust in him, who, who obey him, who listen to these words, who, who take hope in them so that he could say to you and to me, if that describes you, you are my beloved daughter. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Because in this, in this story, and as, as the story unfolds, it's not just Jesus being transfigured. It's also us. Maybe that sounds like kind of ridiculous, but that word, transfigured, it's only used in two other places in the whole New Testament, both of which are referring to us. Both of which are referring to us, that you and I, just like Jesus is transfigured there and, and filled with, with glory and experiencing all that he does and the love of, of his Father, there poured out on him that we too, we too are being changed. And that in ways we can't even begin to understand that we will have a similar experience let me read one of those passages. It's the Apostle Paul in 2 Corinthians. He says, since we have such a hope, we are very bold, not like Moses, who would put a veil over his face. But when one turns to the Lord Jesus, the veil is removed, and we all, with unveiled faces, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed, literally transfigured, into the same image from one degree of glory to another. That's us, people. That, that is who we are becoming. His voice is always better. And that's the voice I want to listen to. Let's pray. God, again, we need your help. We hear so many voices. And we live in a world in which we are regularly confused, disappointed, and dismayed. God, I pray that your voice would rise clearer, louder than all the others. That it would, it would even overrule the, the voice within us that always thinks he's right, that always is pushing me towards my own selfish agenda. God, forgive us. And may you begin the process in us of, of transfiguring us, changing us into this image of glory for the glory of your Son, our Savior. Amen.